As you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 this morning, I want to introduce again this morning's message in week two of this three-week mini-series entitled, The Church Sings. I want to go through our outline this morning, studying studying a few of the verses in Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 7. Verse 4, rejoicing when it's difficult to rejoice. Verse 5, when God is near, it demands that we not worry. Verse 6, entrust yourself into the hands of your heavenly Father. In verse 7, from where ought we seek inward peace? The big idea here is that when anxiety overwhelms us, we are called to rejoice in the Lord, to delight in his love, and offer thanksgiving and prayer. The church sings of the peace and hope we have in Christ, who reigns eternally as the shepherd of our lives. We're continuing our study of Philippians this morning. We've jumped to chapter 4. Last week I began this series called The Church Sings, and we studied some of Philippians chapter 1. We talked about the training up of our children, being role models for others, our spouses, to our neighbors, and even here at church. We will receive a heavenly reward from the time and attention that we take with the next generation, teaching them as they should go. And Paul continues then in chapter 2 of Philippians, Chapter 2 is about the humility of Christ, how we are to hold fast to the word of life. Chapter 3 is about walking steadfastly. And then Philippians chapter 4 talks about us standing firm. Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4 involve a harmony with one another. Chapters 4 through 7, what we'll study this morning, a rejoicing on all occasions. And then chapter, verses 8 and 9, we're, uh, it would study... Uh, praiseworthy living. So a good opportunity for you to dig into Philippians on your own this week. It would be a good study for you to do. Paul's giving us and his readers here in chapter 4, verse 4, several positive exhortations, some commands telling us there are some vital, important things, both for you as an individual and for the church corporately in Christian living. They all result in the maintenance of peace in the body, So the saints can work together effectively as partners in the gospel, even in the midst of opposing unbelievers. Rejoicing in Christ is something the Apostle Paul commanded earlier in chapter 3, verse 1, and has continued to illustrate abundantly for his readers throughout the epistle. He must have felt that there was great need for this attitude with the Christians in Philippi. There were many reasons why the Philippian saints could have felt discouraged. There was Paul's imprisonment. There was the possibility of his death. Their friend Epaphroditus was sick. There was antagonism of unbelievers. There were attacks from legalists on one side and libertines on the other, plus friction among certain members of the church. And to counteract this attitude, Paul prescribed rejoicing in the Lord. He was not telling us to be unrealistic, however. He was not saying that we should never feel sad or never feel anxious, for even Christ Jesus himself wept at the loss of his friend. However, he was advocating focusing on the blessings that we do have in Christ and being grateful for them regardless on how sad we may feel at any particular time. So in response, the church sings a rejoice. It's our practice here to stand for the reading of scriptures. If you'll stand with me, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Verse 4, rejoicing when it's difficult to rejoice. There are a variety of places we receive the ability to rejoice from the Bible. And we ought to be rejoicing when it's difficult to rejoice. Pastor theologian John Piper wrote out seven different places that joy comes from as he studied Scripture. And Piper talked about how extraordinary it was that Paul has this unbelievably durable joy when things weren't going well. Where did his joy come from? First of all, joy was taught by Jesus. Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you when people hate you, for rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Second, joy comes from the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. You receive the word in much affliction because you have the joy of the Holy Spirit to carry you on. Third, it comes from belonging to the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Fourth, it comes through faith from believing in God. Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Fifth, it comes from seeing and knowing Jesus as Lord. This verse, rejoice in the Lord always. Sixth, it comes from fellow believers who work hard to help keep you focused on sources of joy. Second Corinthians chapter 1, we, the church, work with you for your joy. And seventh, it comes from times of tribulation. Romans chapter 5 says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Paul's not boasting as if he has the answer to all joy. He's just imitating Christ, 1 Corinthians 11. Be imitators of me, Paul, as I am imitators of Christ. He is the example. So for most of us, this will take a call to earnest prayer because a life of joy in the Holy Spirit through prayer is a supernatural life. If you're here with us today, I'd encourage you to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to begin to penetrate the hardened areas of your heart today. The Christian life is one to be walked only with the Holy Spirit indwelling you. This supernatural life, one in which we trust the literal person and work of Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who walked this earth, a sinless man, in whom was both fully God and fully man, laying down his life as a payment and a ransom for our sins to save us from eternal death and damnation, to offer us a permanent residence with him in heaven. Declare Lord, him Lord, over your life today. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and you shall be forgiven. And live with him in paradise forever, singing rejoice. For we have a life of joy in the Holy Spirit, this supernatural life. Only if you ask God to forgive you of your sins, Turn from your wicked ways, and he will guide your hearts and your minds with a fullness of joy now and forevermore. I did want to mention that there will be seasons of joy in our life. 
Paul uses the Greek words for joy and rejoicing 16 different times in the 104 verses of Philippians. Joy is a feeling of pleasure and happiness. The emotion when we feel good, when the sun is shining, when your team is winning, when you're healthy and happy. Most people don't talk of heavenly joy the same way. We don't typically speak of happiness of heartbreak or the pleasure of migraines or the bliss of losing. Sometimes we have joy in happy marriages. While on the other hand, we can ask God for forgiveness when our priorities are out of order in our relationships, knowing that Christ is the true and better bridegroom for the church. Sometimes we have joy over the birth of a newborn child or the strength and fortitude of our bodies and what we can accomplish. While on the other hand, we can rejoice in a life of bruises and pain, knowing that one day there will be no tears. And those that we love who know Christ as their personal Savior, we have a hope to see them again, for Christ is the true and better physician. Sometimes we have joy over the return of lost sheep, these lost treasures. Perhaps a joy, uh, a, love, a child or a loved one that's turned from the, the Lord. We can rejoice only because we know God is the one who's in control. For he knows the heart of all men, and he is the great and true shepherd. Consider the objects of joy in your life, of gospel joy. The real joy, the reasons for joy, the challenges that joy can present. Joy because, joy through, joy in, so that when anxiety overwhelms you, you're called to do nothing but rejoice in the Lord. One way we can do that, I'll suggest, is by singing the hope that we have in Christ, the peace in whom reigns eternally as shepherd in our lives. On Friday, December 30th, 2022, Keith and Kristen Getty released with artist Shane and Sane this new song that we sang this morning, Rejoice. Ben Shive was one of the three other guys or people that helped him. He's an American Christian musician and music producer. One was Sky Peterson. She's a 20-year-old singer, songwriter from Nashville. She actually writes hymns with the Gettys right now. She's the daughter of longtime recording artist uh, Andrew Peterson. We'll sing one of his songs next week that he wrote. And it was also written by Brian Fowler. He's a Christian music and songwriter, producer, engineer. He's written 36 different Christian songs. Two of them were number, two, n- number one records. This song that we sang this morning, Rejoice, is a song of praise and an attitude of gratefulness to God. It encourages the listener to rejoice in the Lord, to delight in his love, to offer thanksgiving and prayer. The lyrics remind us that we can find peace and hope in Christ, who reigns eternally as the shepherd of our lives. The song encourages us to praise the Lord in all circumstances, knowing that we have every reason to do so. Look at some of the lyrics with me this morning. Rejoice in the Lord now and always. Sing it again, we rejoice. The light and the love that he's shown us, gratefully lift up your voice. His gentleness among us will join our hearts with praise. We gather in his goodness a family of grace. The words of this song echo the very words of the scripture that we're reading this morning. Singing again and again, rejoice. Rejoice. They share the reminding truths of our need to delight in God's love, to lift our voices with gratefulness in our hearts. For God is gentle with us, 
as we join together with the saints to worship him together. Gathering in his Genesis chapter 1 goodness, a family of grace that was built only by the maker's hands. And as we look to Philippians chapter 4 verse 4, we see that Paul is calling us to rejoice with the Lord, to be glad with him, to be full of joy in an exceedingly bountiful way. This connotation of being well and thriving, this fullness of joy, not only in the Lord, but by him and with him. Furthermore, this rejoicing is not, to be meant, not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done in community. Paul is addressing a congregation, his brethren in the faith. He's telling them to, them to rejoice with one another. This is why we place such strong emphasis here at East White Oak on our pathways of discipleship. These environments are based on Jesus' ministry. This large group gathering of Sunday worship that we're doing now. The medium-sized gathering of Bible fellowships. And the small-sized gathering of small groups. I would challenge you this morning, if you are not attending a Sunday morning Bible fellowship, or you want to sign up for a small group starting in the fall, today is the day. For if you're drifting from the church, drifting into sin, drifting from your first love, or just feel like you're drifting with no one to hold on to, come and see that the Lord is good to us in community and join in on the modeling of Jesus' life and ministry. And while you're here at East White Oak, seek to be a worshiper maturing in Christ in more environments than just the Sunday morning worship service. You see, the Lord is no mystical, unreachable being. On the contrary, he is the master and creator of the heavens and the earth. He will indwell your spirit. He's very near to you. He's very near to the bride of Christ, his church. And this calls for joy. It's to be done always, at all times, forever and ever, forevermore, in community. Let community help you, please. Paul says we're to rejoice repeatedly, to rejoice again and again as a constant renewal and a repetition in our lives. And he's demonstrating it for us right there in his command. If we continue to look at the lyrics in the Getty song, it says, with each breath he's given, praise the Lord. In these times we live in, we will praise the Lord. Throughout every season, I am sure we have every reason to praise the Lord. The lyric writing here is so in tune with what Paul is telling us. Rejoicing again and again with every breath, even in these difficult days and hours. To rejoice again and again in every season, for we have every reason to praise the Lord. I tell you, these are not the lyrics of another love pop song or an uplifting country music song about the good old life on the farm hitting the top of the record charts. These are lyrics penned by people who have gone through some of the same struggles as you and as me, and have seen that only through the work of the Lord in their lives, through the study of Scripture and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, can they rejoice in the Lord in every season. So why do we sing a song like this in church? Why do we sing it in our, in our homes? Why should these lyrics consume us? One of the things I wanted to do this week was help you understand more behind the process of why we sing the songs that we sing. Last week, I shared what worship is and what it's not. Worship is not just the music portion of the worship service. The whole service is an offering of worship unto God. And we can define worship as something that is giving praise to the Lord that's biblical, 
that's God-centered, that's Christ-centered, and that's focused on the Trinity. I suggest you go back and listen to last week's sermon, if you missed it, for an in-depth look at what worship is. You know, we often fall into a trap of defining what worship is based on the types of songs that we like to sing or the types of music that we like. So I was a little scared to share this story this morning, but I think it's such a good story, I'm going to share it with you anyways. It's a funny little story about hymns and modern songs that I just had to share. An old farmer went to the city one weekend and attended the big city church. He came home with his wife and asked how it was. Well, said the farmer, it was very good. They did something different, however. They sang modern songs instead of hymns. Modern songs, asked the wife, what are those? He said, they're okay, they're like hymns, they're just only different. Well, what's the difference, asked the wife. Well, the farmer said this, if I were to tell you a story and the theme verse of the story was, Martha, the cows are in the corn. Well, that would be a hymn. On the other hand, if I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black and white cows, they're in the corn. They're in the corn, the corn, the corn, the corn. The cows are in the corn. Then if I were to repeat the whole thing two or three times, that would be a modern song. Any luck would have it, the same Sunday, a new young Christian from the city went to the small town church. And he came home and the wife asked him, how was it? He said, well, it was good, but they did something different. They sang hymns instead of modern songs. Hymns, asked the wife, what are those? He said, they're okay, they're sort of like modern songs, they're only different. Well, what's the difference, asked the wife. The young man said, well, if I were to tell you a story, and the main theme of the story was, Martha, the cows are in the corn. Well, that would be a modern song. If on the other hand, I were to say to you, O Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry. Inclinest thy ear to the words of my mouth, Turn thou thy whole wondrous ear by and by to the righteous and glorious truth. For the way of the animals who can explain, they're in their heads no shadow of sense. Hearkeneth they in God's son or his reign, unless from the mild tempting corn they are fenced. Yea, those cows and glad bovine, rebellious delight, they've broken free from their shackles, shackles their warm pens is chewed, then goaded by minions of darkness and night, all they, all my mild chili wax corn they chewed. So look to that bright shining star day by day, where all foul corruptions of earth are reborn, where no vicious animal makes my soul cry, and I will no longer see those foul cows in corn. And then if I were to do verses 1, 3, and 4, and then change the keys on the last verse, now that would be a hymn. It's a funny little story about the songs that we sing, but it begs the question, why do we sing the songs that we sing? And we ought to tackle that based on the scripture that the songs are written from. So having already attempted to define what worship is, let's tap, tackle the topic of song selection. Specifically here at East White Oak, we have four general principles. First, all songs that we sing should reflect the principles outlined in proper worship. I listed them this morning. We talked about them last week. Number two, we have a very wide latitude on the songs that we sing. 
Our pastors and worship leaders spend a great deal of time researching and studying the songs based off scripture that we will sing. Number three, we just, number three, we just simply can't sing songs that go against the Bible or against our statement of faith. And number four, we simply cannot sing songs we know were written by other people who are against the Christian faith, either by belief or by their lifestyle. This brings some important questions, though. How do we know the theological background of a songwriter? Are we compelled to do a deep digging into every instance? Who of us is perfect anyways? What level of theological and lifestyle fidelity is required to make a song acceptable for our worship? Here are a few answers. First, we should make every effort to know what we're singing. We should try to learn about who wrote the song and what they're writing about. It helps us bridge the context from the songwriter to our current ministry. Simply putting our heads in the sand and pretending that we don't know is a formula for weak worship. Second, we're not trying to find perfection in songwriters. We're trying to know that they have faithfulness to the Bible and to our statement of faith. And third, when we know that a songwriter or a song is not faithful to the Bible, not faithful to the Lord, we simply shouldn't sing that song. Collaboration with others is the best way to sort out all of these things, since we are all fallible. The role of music in teaching the Word of God is described well in Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. These are the reasons we sing the songs that we do. And those songs are an act of worship. And we will find daily our need to be rejoicing when it's difficult to rejoice. Let us do it with good, God-honoring songs. Paul's encouraging us to praise the Lord in every circumstance, and with that charge, I think he knows we need a little more help. So he gives us a step-by-step guide here as we look into verse 5. When God is near, it demands that we not worry. He's setting up here a three-part step-by-step plan to help us keep a posture of rejoicing. Verse 5, step 1 here, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then verse 6 will be step 2 and 3, by prayer and supplication. So what does it mean to let your reasonableness be known to everyone? Your Bible translation may say gentleness or forbearance, attitude, moderation, mildness, mildness or graciousness. I think that demonstrating forbearance to everyone, saved and unsaved, is the best translation here. The Greek word contains connotations of gentleness and yielding, of kindness and patience and leniency. It recalls Christ Jesus' humility in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Let's look at a few examples of reasonableness. Trevin Waxen is the Vice President of Research and Development for the North American Mission Board, and he's the founding editor of the Gospel Project. He wrote an article, and he said, one reason we should consider periodic breaks from social media is because we need time for the clearing of the mind and the disengaging from a world marked by a profound lack of unreasonableness. 
In Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter threads, unreasonableness is on full display. One of the ways Christians will stand out in this generation is by embracing reasonableness. He said two things. One, the reasonable Christian assumes the best, willingly overlooks someone's faults, and in grace chooses to bear with flawed people. And he said, joyful Christians are not nitpickers. They're not looking for reasons to offend. They're not hypercritical. They're known for grace. Those of us that are beloved by God and and empowered by the Savior's second coming, coming, you are free to show grace. You're free from the cycles of vengeance that plagues our online community. You're free from anger and bullying and outbursts. You can rest secure in your convictions, trusting that the Lord will vindicate his name and reward his people. Let's not miss out on the opportunity to be reasonable in an unreasonable world and do it in a way that brings God glory. The forbearing or reasonable person does not insist on his or her own rights or own privileges They are reasonable and considerate and gentle to others. Why? Verse 5, for the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Paul's reminding his readers of both the physical nearness of Christ and the imminence of the Lord's return. So one can read it in two senses. The Lord is at hand in a near physical and geographical way, as in Jesus is near in proximity, proximity, as Christ wills and works alongside the Christian, cares for his sheep tenderly, or in a timeline sense, as in Jesus is coming back soon. Both theologically true, but Paul is emphasizing how when we live as heavenly citizens here on earth, we are focused on a timeline sense of Jesus is coming back soon. The Philippians and we today can be reasonable and show forbearance even to our opponents because we know that Jesus is coming back soon to set all things right. I read Psalm 50 in our prayer this morning. We saw praise to God for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent graciousness. The Lord is near. He alone will write and vindicate, right all things wrong and vindicate those for his glory of God that has been reasonable to others. Choose to be reasonable. Choose to forbear the sins of this world. A glimpse into what we'll study next week. The Church Sings mini-series will look at the end times in Revelation 19. And we'll see that one day the church will be with her bridegroom, Christ forevermore. All our struggles will be over. Peace will be ours forever. And the church will sing a song of victory, celebrating all that God has done. But for today, step one, how do we rejoice when it's difficult to rejoice? We're to be reasonable and gentle with everyone. Not in fear of the Lord, like a boss who's watching over your shoulder, but in a spirit of worshiping the Lord. When he's near, it demands that we do not worry. Do not worry about the fraught-filled world that we live in. For when God is near, it demands that we not worry. Let's look at the next verse, verse 6 here. Entrust yourself to the hands of the Heavenly Father. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God. So step one, how do we rejoice when it's difficult to rejoice? We're reasonable and gentle to everyone. Step two and three, by prayer and supplication. Paul had commended Timothy in chapter two, commended him for having concerns over the welfare of the Philippians. He said, good job for your concern. But now here we're told to not have concern about anything. Never to be anxious. It's the same Greek word in both places. It's a present imperative. It's a command not to worry. A command that we're expected to follow, not just one time, but over and over again. The resolution of this problem lies in viewing anxiety as a concern that, if uncontrolled, will become fretful and fearful if taken too far. Paul's point here is rather than becoming distraught over a particular situation, we should take it to the Lord in prayer. We should pray about everything that concerns us. Prayer needs to replace worry in the Christian's life. Prayer is the way we talk to God and we hear from him through the reading of his word. And Paul uses several different words for prayer here in this verse. He says prayer, which is the most general term of our communications to God, Supplications or petitions refers to requests for a particular belief. Thanksgiving is a grateful acknowledgement of past mercies. And requests, which looks at individual requests of God that form a part of the whole prayer. There's a great word study here if you're interested and up for the challenge. Study the four different Greek terms that are used. Correspond them and the nuances of how each one is used throughout the Bible. Paul's offering this strong encouragement to seek release from anxiety through prayer and supplication. So what causes anxiety in our lives today? Psychologists tell us that anxiety in part comes from life circumstances or even our age. The list is great. Public speaking, death, spiders and snakes, darkness, heights, social situations. Teenagers often have fear of fitting in, whether their lives will make a difference. And all teenagers face both the joy and fear associated with increased independence as they grow out of childhood and into adulthood. The same fear is often anxiety-ridden in parents as they watch their kids grow up and start to move out of the home. Young children, even toddlers, deal with anxiety. Dark, the monsters, weather, bad dream and strangers, the bathroom, doctors and dentists. They particularly get scared when their primary caregiver leaves them. Why are you leaving me? What if you never come back? I feel safe when you're with me and afraid when you go out. I play peekaboo with our daughter Meredith. And even as I poke my head around the corner and come back, she'll go from seconds of deep fear to moments of sheer joy as I reemerge. Increasingly, or interestingly enough, adults can also experience that fear of separation anxiety, whether it be triggered by having to move, the loss of a loved one, the ending of a relationship, or the leaving of a job. With all these listed anxieties, including all these fears that we've mentioned, we need to learn to how to deal with them as Christians by putting them into perspective according to Scripture. For even Jesus acknowledged this. He acknowledged the fear of anxiety by his disciples 
when he told them during the Last Supper that he would soon leave them, in reference to his crucifixion and his arrest. His disciples must have been wondering, how is it that the Christian community can experience the spiritual presence of Christ without the physical presence of Christ? For that generation and every generation to follow, including ours today, Scripture promises the continued presence of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in his place. This Holy Spirit translated to the word paraclete, one who is called alongside for aid, advocate, comforter, counselor. This is the spirit of truth that reminds you of the things that Jesus has taught in his commandments. In this way, we will know that Christ will dwell not only with God, but also with us today. We are first to be reasonable and gentle with everyone. Then we are to take our anxieties to God through prayer and supplication, knowing that this Holy Spirit will come alongside us, never leaving us, caring for us, bringing us comfort and joy and aid. Let us look to the second verse of the Getty song, Rejoice Here. Rejoice and be anxious for nothing, praying for all that you need. Come with a song of thanksgiving, lay your request at his feet. His presence will fall upon us to guard our hearts and our minds. In Christ who reigns eternal, the shepherd of our lives. You see, when we find ourselves in a thankful petition before God, he grants us peace. The inner peace that offers freedom of a life without worry. This freedom is the peace that passes all humanly understanding, not anchored in anything of this world. And God promises to listen to our prayers and our requests. We're called to do this with thanksgiving in our hearts, removing ourselves from the pedestal of our own lives and giving thanks to him. Crying out to God, not with doubting or flippant questioning or blaming him, We must not fear that he's not wise enough or not strong enough or not good enough, but in thankful prayer, release to him our fears and worries, saying, I trust you, Lord, you're sovereign over my life, your purposes are good. I will praise you with thanksgiveness, remembering the history of your goodness to me and to your people, and I'll seek you in prayer with thankfulness, knowing that your will is perfect." Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We must humble ourselves before the Lord in his sight and be willing to turn from our wicked ways. I suggest that a good way to do this and to remind ourselves is through singing a song to God, praises to the great shepherd of our lives. Verse seven, from where ought we seek inward peace? Rejoice in the Lord always. We have this three-step plan now. We're told then the result is the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. The lyrics, rejoice in the Lord now and always. Tell of the good he has done. Worship the Lord to remember 
all the joys yet to come, the hope that burns within us, the dark cannot destroy. With praise that's never ending, we say again, rejoice. This peace of God, which passes all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds. You see, worldly peace must be guarded, but God's peace guards us. The phrase, the peace of God, means a peace that is a blessing given by God. It is a peace that comes from God rather than peace just with God. It's a peace that comes to us when we pray because we enter into his presence. It's a release from tension, something that we can't fully comprehend. This peace acts as a guard of the believer's hearts and affections and minds. Paul was not saying that we will feel absolutely at ease and relieved after we pray, but a measure of peace will be ours. We will have confidence that we've laid the matter of this life before the Lord and sought his aid. This verse doesn't promise that peace will be the indicator of God's will, but it is God's working in our lives. Paul did not say that we need to make a that. Paul did not say that if we need to make a decision, God will make known his peace to us. He will just give us peace that he is in control. The promise of the verse is that if we pray rather than worry, God will give us peace simply knowing he is the one that is near. Anxiety brings no peace. Praying brings peace. Paul started his letter in Philippians here, grace to you and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. This gospel gift of peace is only found through Jesus Christ. And Paul continually points to the benefit of Christ who offers a peace that transcends all earthly woes. He's rejoicing and peacefully resting in prison, a place where no man wants to be. Yet this peace guarded his heart and his mind in Christ Jesus. And God's peace will guard us from anxiety and doubt and worry. This guarding, a military term, very understandable by the Philippians as the Romans came in and conquered and have guarded the land. Just as soldiers protect a city, so God's peace guards and protects the believers who place their daily trust in him. To protect our hearts and minds, not as two different things, but as a comprehensive look at the life of the believer. You see, in Hebrew, the heart here is the center of one's being. It's the wellspring of life, Proverbs 4 says. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. When anxiety strikes us and we are within the garrison of God's peace, our very thoughts of fear and distress will subside. It is only through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in whom we trust that we can rejoice in his protection. So when anxieties overwhelm us, we are called to rejoice, Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord, to delight in his love, and offer thanksgiving and prayer to God. The church sings of the peace and the hope we have in Christ Jesus, who reigns eternally as the shepherd 
of our lives. Pray with me this morning. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask that you teach us through this study to recognize the areas of our lives that make it difficult for us to rejoice. Lord, when we begin to replay our anxieties in our mind over and over, teach us how to stay in a pattern of rejoicing. We ask that you put a song on our hearts to sing to you and to penetrate our worry. We're thankful for a God who draws near to us. You teach us to respond to others in a reasonable way, in a gentle way, seeking peace in our relationships. Why? For you're at hand. We bring to you our prayers. We ask for your peace and mercy in our lives. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. And we make our requests made known to you. Let us be a community of believers who protect and guard one another by the encouragement and the study of your word together in community. And we beg you that when anxiety overwhelms us, we will rejoice in the Lord, we will delight in your love, and the church will sing of the peace and hope we have in Christ, who reigns eternally as the shepherd of our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.